Well, good morning, ladies. It is a delight to be with you, and it's a delight to be out of the house. And like Dana, I can just envision all of you here in this room with me this morning, and I just want you to each know how much we love you, how much we miss seeing your face, and how excited we will be when we're all back together again. If you're watching right now, would you please just share um, our live stream, whether it's on Facebook or Bellevue.org, would you share that on social media so we can encourage other people to join us as well? We are in our concluding chapter of our, st- our study, John chapter 15. And it is here that Jesus tells us he is the vine. He truly is our life source. Jean did such a wonderful job last week. And as we finished up chapter 14, Jesus said in verse 30, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. Jesus points out that Satan had nothing in him because Jesus had lived a sinless life. As the second Adam, he had lived the life we are unable to live. But he also goes on to say in verse 31, but so that the world may know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded. Get up. Let us go from here. So evidently, as he moves into John chapter 15, they are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. It is there Jesus begins to talk to them about the importance of the vine and the Father being the vine dresser and that he is their life source. We know that chapters 13 through 17 are that discourse that Christ is giving them just before he goes to the cross. So we know that last words are very important. And as they're walking to the garden, they very well may have passed grapevines, maybe a vineyard, but it was very much a part of their everyday life. And they understood the symbolism that Christ is using here. And he's giving himself as an example. Satan had nothing in him. And the reason is because his love for the father was so great that he did everything the father commanded him. So he's using himself as an example before he moves into chapter 15 and begins to explain to them, his followers, thus us as well, that we too can live as he lived because he is our source. Let's pick up in John chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Jesus is the vine. He is our life source. In the Valley of Vision, which I highly recommend, wonderful little devotional of Puritan prayers, um, one entitled Christ the Word says this, I am one with him by the word on his part, and faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is most near. If I receive the word, I receive my Lord wherein he is nigh. O thou who hast the hearts of all men in thy hand, form my heart according to thy word, according to the image of thy son. So shall Christ the word and his word be my strength and comfort. Christ was telling them, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser, and we are cleansed by his word. In fact, F.B. Meyer says, perhaps if we were more often to yield ourselves to the pruning of the word, we should escape the pruning of sore pain and trial. He went on to say, nature is a parable of God. 
each natural object as it stood in Eden's untainted beauty displayed some aspect of him whom no man can see and live. And you know, ladies, just as we are joined in Christ and made one with him, we are also joined together. Christ is the vine, but we're all branches. Consequently, we are joined together and we need each other. We depend upon each other. We encourage one another. That's part of what we're missing during this time of not being able to join together. So we have to find other ways to encourage each other, whether it's through text or a phone call or a handwritten card or posting something on social media to encourage our sisters in Christ. We talk about the Father as the vine dresser, and He does prune and refine. It's very important for these vines to be pruned in the spring, and it would be about three years before a new vine would actually bear fruit. And so the vine is cut back, and if you were watching a vine dresser pruning a vine, you might be shocked at how much of the vine He cuts away each spring. And yet it's so that the vine will be more fruitful. It will bear more grapes. Otherwise, it just has long, spindly branches with lots of leaves, but very little fruit. So the Father knows what He's doing when He is pruning us, when He is cutting back the things in our life that are preventing us from bearing fruit and from growing in Christ's likeness. The Bible also talks about refining. It's the same example that not only does the Father prune us, He also refines us. It's often talked about of silver, of gold. And we know that the way gold is refined is it's brought to a point where it is so hot that it literally melts. And the gold is heavier than the other ores or minerals that are in it. And so they come to the top and they're scooped off so that the gold is more pure. Sometimes when we go through trials, fires, it is so that the dross can come to the surface. What about this test, this trial that we're all going through? Has it brought some dross up in your life? (laughs) I know it has in mine. I didn't realize as an introvert how much I love being around people. In fact, as we kept our distance this morning preparing for this broadcast, we were talking about how much we missed hugging each other. And as an introvert, I never thought of myself as being that much of a physical touch person, but I am. I realize now I squeal when I see my loved ones and I want to throw my arms around them. And God has created us in his image. And part of that image is that we are relational. We are made for relationship, made for relationship with him and made for relationship with others. And if the Father is pruning us, if He's allowing us to see those things in our life that don't please Him, that might hinder our growth, it is for our good, it is for our well-being, and that we might bear fruit. Our life is in the vine, and we are to abide in Him. In fact, abide appears 10 times in seven consecutive verses, beginning in verse 4 through verse 11. So let's go back to the scripture. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We cannot bear anything that's eternal apart from Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. 
abide in my love, rest in my love, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus is telling them, I'm giving you instructions because I'm about to be taken from you. And he tells them at the end of the chapter, the Holy Spirit will come. The helper, the comforter will be sent to be with them, to literally be in them. But he's telling them now, this is how you are to live. When I am taken away from you, you are to abide in me, remain in me, stay in me. That is literally what that means. And in the midst of the coronavirus, we have had things stripped away. Sports, entertainment, extracurricular activities for your children, school, church, shopping, spending time with friends and family due to social, social distancing and then wanting to protect others. How are you doing? When all is stripped away, do you find that your well-being is tied to any of these things? Can we truly say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Weekend before last, our youngest daughter, Bethany, many of you know her. She and her husband, David, are members here. She got sick weekend before last and started having some struggles breathing, was having pain in her chest. And of course, with the coronavirus and all that we know about it, we do know that it can impact your lungs very profoundly. In fact, that's the need for the ventilators and all that's going on in our hospitals right now and the fear of overloading them, which is why we're social distancing to try to prevent the spread of this disease. Well, immediately we began to wonder, does she have the coronavirus? And that Saturday evening, she was struggling and I talked with her on the phone and I was praying. And of course, I went to bed that night and about 1.30 in the morning, I woke up and of course, I'm praying again and I'm struggling. And I got up and got my Bible and I opened the word of God and I began to read and God began to speak to me. But ladies, I want to tell you, when we're struggling like that, when fear wants to take over, when all the what-ifs come into our mind, we have to take those thoughts captive and we have to actively choose to abide. It is not passive. It is not just, oh, okay, I'll do this. We have to fight to abide because the world, our flesh, and the enemy is pulling against us constantly, getting us off center, getting us out of that rest and trust and faith in Christ. And it is only as we place our trust in him, recognize him as our only life source, our only sure foundation, that we're able to have that peace that passes all comprehension. Well, I struggled for a couple of hours. And I finally went back to bed about 3.30, got up the next morning, came up here with Steve and was his audience in the studio as he preached that morning. And then came back home that afternoon, praying again, talking with her. It seemed to be getting worse. So contacted a doctor friend. He was able to, they were able to get her in to be tested. And believe it or not, received her results very quickly. By the next day, we knew she was negative which was wonderful, but then the question is, what is going on? Does she have pneumonia? What's happening to her? But knowing she was virus negative, I was able to then go get her while her husband stayed with their children and get her to the doctor. And they were able to determine she had just a very serious case of bronchitis that had really settled in her bronchial tubes, was causing her not to be able to breathe. And after doses of prednisone and an inhaler, she began to improve and we were thanking the Lord. But you know what? Some people get a positive from that test result. And they find out they do have the coronavirus. And their loved one may be in the hospital. And they're unable because of this virus to go in and even be with their loved ones. So there's great struggle in that. There's great fear in that because we want to be together. How do we do this at a time like this? We abide. We choose. 
We choose to get into the word of God and we choose to abide in Christ. And to abide literally is to abandon myself to him. Years ago, I love John 15 verses 7 and 8. And I was meditating upon them years ago. And in John 7, I realized there actually was an acrostic for abide contained in that verse where he says, if you abide in me, the only way I can abide in Christ is to abandon myself to him. I have to abandon myself to Christ. That's a surrender. That is an offering of myself as a living sacrifice, a burnt offering, nothing held back. All my dreams, my desires, my loved ones are laid on that altar with me and I lift them up to the Lord as a sacrifice. I must abandon myself to be able to abide. I have to give up my will and choose God's will instead. That's exactly what he is calling on us to do. We start by abiding, by recognizing that we are in him and nothing can separate us from his love. He is love. We just read that. He is love. The Father is love. And we're to abide in that love. And we know that his love is perfect. And 1 John 4, 18 tells us, perfect love casts out fear. If you want your fear to be cast out, surrender. Abandon yourself to the perfect love of the Father. So the A is for abandon and the B in abide is for believe. And my word abides in you. The way his word abides in us is for us to believe it, to base our life on it. We must truly believe because when we believe, we act out of what we believe. So spend time daily reading and meditating upon his word. If you don't already have a system or a plan for reading through the Bible, get one. You can go online and get a system. You can use your Bible. You don't have to purchase one. If you want to order a one-year Bible or a one-year chronological Bible, do that. But you don't have to wait for that. Get a plan and begin to start reading through the Bible systematically. Something I've added to my daily Bible reading is a reading of the Psalms. I read five Psalms every day. And you just take the day of the week and you read that psalm for the day, then add 30 and read that one, add 30. You do that five times. And if you will do that in a month with 30 days, you will read through the entire book of Psalms every month. And then I also do that for Proverbs. I go to the proverb of the day and read that as well. And I love to be able to take the Psalms especially and pray them back to the Father. The Psalms are very raw and very honest in many of them. You will find your emotions expressed many times by the psalmist and pray them back to the Father. Meditate upon his word. Let it run through your mind instead of worry. As you abide in Christ and his word, the problems of this world will shrink before the reality of the God who spoke all that we know into existence and has given us all that we need in Christ. So stop scrolling. <laughs> and start focusing on Christ and his word. Stop worrying and start meditating. Stop wasting today worrying about tomorrow. Simply change your focus. So we're going to abandon and we're going to believe. We're going to shift our focus to Christ, the one who is able to do all things, the one through whom we are able, and we're going to meditate upon his word. And the next word in the verse is ask. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. So that is intercede, pray, pray, lift your request to the Lord. Are you taking those fearful, anxious thoughts captive and instead replacing them with the truth of God and then let your request be made known to God like Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says? And if we don't worry about nothing, 
are anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. Then his peace that passes all comprehension guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's our emotions and our thoughts. But the only way I can do that is if I'm taking those anxious thoughts and I'm turning them into prayer and I'm refusing them entrance into my mind and instead I take them captive, which is what I was doing weekend before last. I was taking those what ifs captive. I was refusing them entrance to my mind because once I give them entrance, guess what? There is a downward spiral of fear and anxiety when it grips you on the inside and it's so much more difficult to free yourself of that bondage to fear once you've given it access access to your mind. But God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to refuse those thoughts and to take them captive and to replace them with the truth of God's word. That's why we get into his word and we meditate upon his word so that we can experience his peace. And then it says, after ask, whatever you wish. So what is your delight? Because if you have abandoned yourself to the Lord and you're abiding in his word and you're believing it and you're letting your request be made known to him, your requests are going to be lining up with his will because you've surrendered. It's to make yourself soft and pliable in the hands of God. And once you do that, he begins to mold your desires to become his desires. And God then moves And prayer is simply communicating with the one who created you and knows you better than you know yourself. Delight yourself in the Lord is what Psalm 37 verse 4 says. Make yourself submissive to his will. And as you submit to him, he begins to open your eyes and mold your desires so that they literally come in line with his. So we're going to ask whatever we wish and look at the promise linked to this. It will be done. It will be done for you. So we are to expect, we are to pray in faith and believe that as we line our will up with the will of God, as we pray the word of God, as we stand in the gap, that God is hearing, that God is moving, and that he will answer our prayers. Christians walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. In our flesh, we want to see before we believe, but like so many truths of the Christian life, God turns the natural inside out and upside down. We believe to see. So we choose to take God at his word. We choose to be in his word. So I want to encourage you, when you're struggling, when fear begins to take over, turn the news off. Get off of social media. Start looking at all the what ifs and the could be's and instead get in the word of God. Go to the creator. Go to our father and stand in the gap on behalf of those who are hurting. And ask him how he can use you in the midst of this time. Because verse 8 says, my father is glorified by this. What is he glorified by? We'll go back to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this. By what? By answered prayer. How powerful is that? That he has granted us access to the very throne room of the universe. And as we come before his throne and our will is lined up with his will, he uses our prayers as the vehicle through which his will comes down from heaven to earth. Be faithful. Be faithful to stand in the gap and to pray in the name of Christ. And when we do that, when we pray in his name, we must pray as we live in his name. And then we're commanded to love. He goes on in verse 12 and says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
He has called us friend, but we prove we're his friend by our willingness to obey his word. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. He repeats that promise. This I command you, that you love one another. To his friends then, Jesus has disclosed all that he himself learned from the father. True, there's much that they're not yet able to grasp. But the limitation lies with their capacity for comprehension, not with his willingness to impart the truth. We are commanded to love one another. We are commanded to abide in the love of Christ. And as we abide in his love, and as we choose to obey the greatest command, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we then are enabled to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's what he has called us to. He has commanded us to love one another. Why? Because we're not of this world. We don't belong to this world system. We are not of the world. We are kingdom citizens, the citizens of heaven. We belong to the Lord. And so consequently, we have a different value system than the world. And when the world runs out and when the world hoards toilet paper, I still don't understand that. But when they hoard whatever it is that they hoard, we don't do that. We find ways to give. Because in giving, God blesses us with more so that we can be a channel to give more away. We don't belong to this world. In fact, D.A. Carson said, whether the people recognize it or not, Jesus' work was nothing less than God's work. In Jesus' speech, God's words were heard. In Jesus' work, God's activity was seen. Indeed, in Jesus, God himself was seen. Jesus is the one who narrates God on the plane of human existence. Jesus is God. And he revealed to us the Father. Because of Jesus, we know we can trust the Father. Because we can trust the one who willingly laid down his life for us, that we might be able to be in Christ, that we might be able to abide, that he might give us everything we need to live this life and to live it in a way that reflects Christ to those around us. So that we're not just focused inward, but we're focused upward on Jesus and outward on our fellow man. We're asking him, Lord, how can you love through me? And he's given us the Holy Spirit, the helper, that he tells us in the end of the chapter, 26 and 27, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. You will testify because you have been with him. Have you been with him during this time of quarantine, this time of social distancing? Have you taken advantage of additional time to be in the word, to experience some real solitude and silence, to set aside a day for Sabbath? For some of you moms out there that have become homeschooling parents, I know you're thinking, when will I do that? (laughs) My children are now with me 24-7. Your children need to see you modeling a priority of your relationship with Jesus Christ. They need to know that you spend time with him every day. And you know, for you to tell them, you need to occupy yourself a little longer this morning because mom's going to spend an extended period with the Lord. And then share with your children what God is revealing to you. Because what they need to see is a vibrant, passionate 
relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not just what we say. It is how we live. It is what we value. Our passion for Christ is caught more than it's taught. And then ask your children to pray with you about ways that you as a family can serve your neighbors, can serve those who may be hurting right now. Our own church has ministry going on in the inner city right now through our missions department. There are ways that you can get involved. Go to the website and find those ways if you're looking for some way to get plugged in, something that you can do to help. Well, I was thinking about this yesterday and thinking about some of the fun ways that people have been doing things for others. As Steve and I were pulling out of our driveway Sunday evening, a family had taken um, sidewalk chalk and written sweet, encouraging notes to us and colored some pictures on there and told us that they loved us. And and it was just so encouraging. Well, over this past weekend, um, I actually had Bethany's two little ones and another friend from church had her son in our neighborhood and his class is going to different homes and hiding Easter eggs for each other. And then the child's able to come out when they leave and find the Easter eggs. Well, she contacted me and said, hey, we're still in the neighborhood. Could we come by and hide some eggs in your yard? Ainsley was so excited to be able to go out in our little flower bed and find some eggs and so thrilled that there was candy inside those eggs. And it was something very fun for her to do. But what are these families teaching their children during a time like this? We are still to be a reflection of Christ. We are still to be seeking ways that we can love and serve our neighbors. So I contacted the family who had chalked on our drive and said, okay, help me with this because she's extremely creative, Ashley Anthony. Many of you know her. And I said, okay, Ashley, what can we do? We need some place that we can compile some of these ideas because like some of you, I'm not just real creative. Um, I need some help in that department. So I enlisted her help because she's so creative and said, what can we do? to find a place where we can put on social media, we can hashtag what we're doing so that we can give people ideas of things we can do during this time, especially now since it's going to go on for the entire month of April. What can we do to focus outside of ourselves during our quarantine, during our social distancing? And she came up with the John 15, 12 project and actually opened an Instagram account. What does John 15, 12 say? This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So we're going to ask you to go to that Instagram account, John 15, 12 project. But also if you post anywhere, just on your personal account, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you do it, if you'll hashtag John 15, 12 project, also hashtag love one another and hashtag Bellevue women. If you will hashtag Bellevue you women, our women's ministry is going to gather all of these ideas and they're going to post them on our women's ministry website page so that you can have one place that you can go to get ideas. I know we all will be encouraged by this. I posted something yesterday because we actually have a couple in our church that were, uh, that tested positive for the coronavirus and they're being quarantined in their home. Of course, family can't be there to minister to them. And so we're wondering about, okay, what are some ways that we can do to minister to this family? So I, what I do when I'm I need an outlet is I either cook or clean. (laughs) That's what I do. And so I started cooking. So I made a big pot of soup and cornbread and a caramel pound cake, and we delivered it to their front porch and left. Just let them know, hey, we're dropping some food off for you. And the husband texted Steve later and said, oh, I made homemade chicken noodle soup because that's what you make for people when they're sick, right? And they just said, oh, the soup sounded so good, and it was so refreshing. Thank you so much. And listen to what they said for loving us. We need to love others because in loving others, We are reflecting the love of the Father and the Son through the Spirit. We have been given the Spirit to help us. And He will give us strength. 
and he will give us wisdom. So I'm asking you, pray, seek the Lord, abide in him. Use this time to pull away, to intentionally get into his word, to surrender to his will, to stand in the gap and pray, and watch our heavenly father move in answer to our prayers. He's calling us to abide. When fear assails, choose to abide. When your heart is heavy, choose to abide. When you feel lonely, choose to abide. When you don't know what to do, abide. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has given you his Holy Spirit and he will speak to you and he will use you to point others to Jesus if we will abide. The choice is ours. What will your focus be during this time? Make it Christ so that you will have a testimony at the end of this. Do you notice the word test <laughs> in testimony? What will your testimony be at the end of this test? How will Christ have used you to point others to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us everything we need. Thank you that because we are in Christ, we can abide. We can rest. We can remain because you are our vine. You are our life source. You are everything we need. You are our I am for whatever our need may be. So Father, we come to you right now knowing we own nothing. We are simply stewards. We are your ambassadors in a lost, dark, hurting, and fearful world. May we be those who so abide in you that we speak words of peace and hope that we post words of peace and hope, that we serve our fellow man. Lord, use us during this time that we might have a vibrant testimony, that we will testify because we have been with you. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we ask you to use us, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.